Dear AMA Mentors, I want to ask you if you could talk about a topic that I, as a student, have noticed to be mentioned very little among teachers and students. The topic is creativity. In high school, I loved my classes. They were interesting, oftentimes fun, and engaging. But I don't think I can say that for all my peers. I mean, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to infer that some students at my school did not feel engaged or interested in classes. Quite the opposite sometimes. And I've been wondering about that. I feel as though there's a huge waste of engagement by having students feel detached from the classes. And I don't know if the solution is to just call these students lazy or not smart. Instead, I think it's more than that. I think it's more the way they're being taught does not give them the incentive to engage. It's too rote, or there's too little activity or movement. There's a lot of reasons why a student could be disinterested. And I think a possible framework or perspective that we could use is through creativity. You know, when I started the podcast, we the students. At high school, I felt the most creative I've ever been at school. I can only imagine the dividends it could yield if every one of my classes replicated that feeling. So my question to you is: How do we support engagement, and how do we support creative education for students? Is it project-based learning? Is it flipped classrooms, or is it maybe just a mindset? Thank you in advance for your thoughts. Warm regards, David Chen. Welcome to AMA Mentors Podcast, Episode 4. I'm Marcia Carrillo. And I'm Debbie Mitchell, and we are the Ask Me Anything Mentors. Um, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited to um, be talking with you again today. Uh, we have a great episode planned for you. Please remember, we would love to hear from you. So if you have a question that you would like to ask us, send an email or Record a brief voice memo and send it to AMA Mentors Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to feature your question on the air. So today we're going to be talking with um, our producer, David Chen. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Marsha. Thank you so much. Hi, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I guess, I mean, I think this is the first time ever I've actually been a guest on a show. Now that, now that I think about it, um, yeah, I think this is the first time I've ever been on a guest, as a guest, you know, on a podcast. Well, we're happy to have you. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm sure you guys must have heard my letter. Um, you know, it's it's coming from a very personal experience of mine and one that I've always wondered about, especially during quarantine, especially during distance learning. Uh, and that's about creating um, some sort of student-centered environment. And I, I guess for some context here that I didn't mention in the letter, how I got how I got into podcasting in the first place, right? The, the, the first page of my podcast journey, it was actually started by a teacher. And I guess this is just even more evidence on why teachers are so important. But, you know, it was actually my English teacher, my junior English teacher, uh, Mrs. Chiesa, shout out to her, uh, who, you know, during just a very, very, you know, routine project of ours, she recommended us to, to go outside the box a little bit, right? To not use slides or to not use, Prezi, like the, the classic forms of group presentation, you know, she recommended us video or 
play even. And then finally, this podcast, right? I've never heard of it up until then. And, you know, to, and I, me and my group chose to do podcasts for that. I loved it. I decided to move it further, move it outside the classroom, continue my learning there. And it, it evolved so beautifully and, and beyond what any, anything I could have ever expected at that point. And, and really, I would attribute that as a strong reason why um, I got into college and now I'm doing podcasts here on campus as well. So really, this is like the, I think this is just a quintessential example of the snowball effect and just perhaps more inspiration for teachers out there. But again, to draw this back, this all happened because A, she gave me a choice and B, she really g- created an environment that was student-centered and gave students a lot of autonomy to decide how they want to approach their learning in the classroom. And I feel like these elements are so super important. I was wondering what you guys thought about that and your guys' advice for teachers to produce these elements in their classrooms. Well, thank you so much for um, giving a shout out to our friend, Miss Chiesa. Um, I think that is also, uh, she attends a lot of professional development. And so um, one of the things that our, some districts are really good about is providing a lot of professional development that opens teachers up to these ideas. So um, what I'd like to cons- us to consider here and encourage teachers is, sounds like what your teacher did was what's called a choice board. A choice board could be sent out to students in any fashion, um, boxes with links. And if you just type in the word choice board, you'll find there's already a lot of templates out there. And what this does is allows students choice in how they demonstrate their learning. So there's going to be some learning that has happened um, either collaboratively or through direct instruction or independent learning. And how will you show what you learned? Well, like David mentioned, you know, we'll make a slide presentation. We, we write an essay. We make a poster. David, can you tell me some other things that you've made in your life that you thought to yourself, well, we don't want to, it's not an insult, but we've all made things that maybe weren't um, things that we would have chose to make. Yeah, and I don't know if it's exactly the even like just choosing. It's just like the thing that's been done over and over again repeatedly that it becomes like the default, right? It's like it's like saying hello even to someone who you've only recently met. It's like it becomes a it becomes like a like a reaction almost like a knee jerk reaction sort of thing. And yeah, slides easy example. Like the moment you hear group project, you instantly think, okay, I'll probably let me just go to my Google Drive, create a slides, share it with my team members. Like it's, it's routine, you know, and I feel like the routineness of learning can sometimes take away from it, right? Because, you know, I, I would argue, and this is just my personal philosophy, I think you need diversity of approach, you need diversity of delivery, and you need diversity, diversity of process in order to kind of show what learning really is, which is, surprise, surprise, diverse, you know, learning is not routine, I would say. And I would argue for my podcast as well. You know, every episode was different. Every guest was different. Every conversation was different. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I would just say, yeah, the things you listed, papers, slides, you know, there's a reason why we can name them off so easily. It's because we've done them a lot. <laughs> right. And I, I think, Marsha, and I would like to encourage um, teachers further to empower students 
and to take over their own learning. We all know that everyone's learning style is different. We, some of us learn better visually. Um, and some of us are auditory learners. We have all the different learning styles um, available to us. Some are, are kinesthetic. And you know what? I actually didn't realize that I was a kinesthetic learner until I became a teacher and started writing on a whiteboard and drawing and moving things. Um, and that really helps solidify things in my mind. And um, I actually remember when I was in high school, I don't remember exactly like there wasn't like a watershed um, assignment or anything like that. But I do remember when I suddenly realized that I was going to school to actually learn something, not just repeat something from the year before, not just turn in a worksheet or an assignment, but I was actually there to do some actual learning, not not just to turn things in. So I don't know if any of if you or Marsha have had a serious, similar experience, David, but I remember that's when it happened to me it was my junior year of high school. I would say for me, um, it was when I was um, in college, actually, because I'm starting to think about these redundant type assignments that David's talking about. And actually, what what really I had to do most of my life is I would say is it was direct instruction and a test or a quiz, direct instruction, and test or a quiz, which was either multiple choice or blah, blah, blah. And there were some maybe and then in college, I was like, oh, you take only like two tests and then you you have to write like two papers. Like that was like every class, right? It wasn't projects. <laughs> it was not projects. When I finally got into, I'm a PE major, physical education major, proud of it, and biology. Um, when I got into the physical education um, part of my journey, I realized those classes were very targeted into... Um, the, the teaching of learning of specific things. And I started realizing at that point, you have this like two more years and you'll be a teacher and, and you have to teach this stuff. It's not just, you're not just proving yourself in this class, Marsha. And even getting to the job saying, I mean, that was it. That was it. Like you're a teacher now. Like you, you don't know everything. And I will say we did not have very, very many opportunities to have diverse learning. There wasn't much technology. We were just getting the Apple IIEs when I and, and some of the Mac SEs um, when I was ending my college um, back in 1989. And so we didn't get technology projects. That wasn't a thing. So um, when I see what we can do with technology, that is encouraging me, even through distance learning, that we should be doing it even more, even more um, technology-related projects. What's your thoughts, David? I agree. I, I mean, yeah, I think ed tech has a huge future um, because, and I guess just an example, uh, you, you know, over the summer, I don't know if I've actually mentioned this on the podcast, but over the summer I worked, and Marsha knows this because she was, you know, pretty instrumental in... Um, in in the in this in this program, but uh, I really wanted to share the power of podcasting with other teachers and and hopefully convince some of them that this was this was possible for a classroom. And I think teachers using podcasting as a method to teach and a method for students to engage with material um, has has serious promise. And you know, I I specifically to to shout out Mr. Manili um, who who recently sent back. A link to his classroom podcast. It was truly amazing to see the diversity 
of podcasts that his students made. You know, at some, I remember there was one where a student interviewed her liberal mom and conservative dad and added commentary on how that how that affects a family dynamic. You know, and there was one that talked about COVID and fires, and talked about there was one that talked about ending racism. You know, just a huge variety, um, and that all came from technology, right? Because obviously, I would argue, I would say, sorry, that technology is a vice if you use it incorrectly, but can also have tremendous potential if used for the benefit. Um, but I, I did want to ask you guys as well that you know, I think it's easy for people in general to say that oh, you should provide a diversity of of choices for students and give each student a chance to come up with their own approach but at the same time that's that could be difficult you know because you know there, there's grading rubrics right there's there's you know you know how do you grade on a on a standard level fair fairly if you have every student doing their own project doing their own approach on a different platform you know and i was wondering about that as well because mr Renilli's class even though this thing was a podcast project he still had to give an option for students who did not want to podcast no? he didn't want to force any student to podcast so some could either write up a narration or just a straight up research paper um and that just that was obviously more work you know because he had to grade the he had to grade and listen to the podcast he had to grade the research papers and you know the slides who, whoever wanted to do slides separately and you know that just spells a lot of work for teachers but at the same time it's effective you know and i was wondering how we can bridge that gap you know of yes this is easy to say, but is it easy to do? Well, I certainly see your point, David, and I, and I can certainly see a teacher's point because when you allow for diverse, um, uh, of diverse kinds of assignments, you're right. Uh, how do you assess fairly? But I think it's possible to create um, some sort of general, maybe one point rubric that you know really talks about the learning. Um, did the students demonstrate the learning? I think maybe a rubric has to um, maybe branch out a little bit more into actual learning rather than just, you know, did you capitalize the first letter of every sentence? Um, and you're right, it's not going to be a, a neat and tidy package, but there's also a lot of things you can do. To, um, you can have students work together, give them a rubric or have them create a rubric for the project that they have designed for whatever it happens to be, have them create the rubric and ask themselves or each other if they have fulfilled the, um, the assignment. And then, you know, when your, um, projects, your podcasts, your, um, videos are ready to go when they're ready to turn them into you, they've already been proofread. They've already been checked. They've already been, um, held up to the rubric. And so it's possible that you'll have a more quality product that requires a lot um, less from you in terms of assessment because it's already been pre-checked by the students themselves. Debbie is nailing it, man. Oh, she's taking the words right out of my mouth. So what we want to talk about here is is first of all, this is a whole nother podcast and, and I'd love David to be part of this one too and maybe some other students is grading um, and you know the philosophy behind that and what that actually means. What does a grade mean? We're hoping to get where we are trying to help mentor our new teachers about um, let's assess learning. 
Okay, let's assess learning and everybody learns at a different speed. There, there, there's research behind that. And what we want to grade is more of the process. So like Debbie was mentioning, a single point rubric. Single point rubrics, Jennifer Gonzalez, look that up. Um, very impactful. And students can't turn anything in. This is an Alice Keeler strategy. Before somebody else has, has graded it or looked at it, anything, right? Um, in fact, what she does is if you turn something up in, she will not release the score till you reply to her feedback. And just the process, so which goes back to PBL, project-based learning. David and I had a talk about that when I was on his show as I go, you know, you're, you're project-based learning, you know, because of all the learning he was doing through the podcasting, right? And you tell yourself is, is, does the teacher really need to watch the whole podcast? So here's another idea as far as teachers, they do get overwhelmed about what will I have to grade? And am I going to have to listen to 200 podcasts? Um, this is an idea and it's creating a, a website, Google site, where basically the student either it would be daily or weekly, possibly. Weekly is better. They do a weekly reflection on, you know, what did I do to prepare for my podcast? And so there can be some specific questions, and that would be the thing that the teacher grades. They may never listen to the whole podcast. That's okay if the teacher never listens to it. Let's get other students listening to it, giving them feedback, and creating those kind of opportunities because that's what's going to be when they work somewhere and they collaborate, they're going to collaborate with a team and they've got to be able to take the feedback and do something with it. Because they did all of that, we know they learned as a teacher, you know, that's mastery grading. Yeah. And I, I know this podcast isn't necessarily about grading itself, but I would like to add to that discussion by really emphasizing something that I've come to really believe in, which is, you know, I think grading the process versus grading the result is so much more important and so much just more accurate because ultimately where a student gets to depends on where they start from. And as we all know, every student in each classroom starts from a different point, right? They, they're, you know, learning comes from home as well. And, and those who learn a lot from home, well, obviously they have a head start, you know. But the thing that is democratized in a classroom is the process, right? No one gets a head start on an assignment for the process unless they somehow, you know, got word of it beforehand. But I think a pro I think grading the process is not only just fair, but also it, you know, you're, you're giving score, you're quantifying really the thing that you're trying to measure, which is how much is the student improving versus how much the student is showing their proficiency at, right? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and for podcasts, I'd agree. I think if you grade, if you quote unquote grade them on the process of them making it and their challenges and their tribulations versus the actual product of the podcast, yeah, I would argue that that is a much better way to grade in general. Um, but yeah, I think for teachers, I, I know I'm in no position to give advice, but just from the podcast perspective, and maybe you can generalize this, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't need to grade, you know, the elements of the podcast and oh, whether or not the audio quality was good or whether or not you had good transitions or narrative speaking voice. Although maybe at one point that is something you want to try to try to uh, measure and train. 
you know, I think just simply grading on the fact of feedback from students and whether or not what, what they felt through the process and what they learned through the process from reflection, I think is plenty to go off on to create some sort of grade, right? So, so yeah, totally agree with what Marcia said. And we've been encouraging teachers to to work on the kind of feedback that they give students in in the process, so that it's actionable feedback that so that it's something that you can see they've taken action on, um, so that it's it's something that moves them forward, and that it helps them, as you said, to reflect. So self assessment is you know what we're what as Marsha pointed out is what's going to happen in the workplace. You know you're going to have to. Um, ask yourself, did I do a good job here? And how do I know? And where can I um, make some improvement? So providing students with actionable feedback rather than maybe just a, a checklist of like, as you said, was your podcast long enough? Was, was your voice clear enough? Um, more of something that they can, you know, uh, reflect on and uh, make, make changes based on their own self-assessment. I, I like those ideas too. When you think about asking, of course, you would have these guided questions, right? Just not not too many, because you want. It's like they already worked really hard on what they did, right? But you want to find out what their challenges were, and that's why when we find out, maybe they need better equipment, or maybe they weren't using the technology proper. I mean, correctly, and then that's when we can come in as a teacher or provide some uh, assistance from, you know, a group member and say, um, you know, like right now, David kind of checks us. He goes, Hey, somebody's mic was da, 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 da. Okay. Well, we would want to empower students to speak up. That's the problem solving part, right? So in the challenges that they experience by producing a podcast, like, Oh, I used this product and then they wanted me to pay or, these different things they go through, these different challenges and being able to solve them, that's a grade of an A. That's the grade of an A, right? It's it's teaching them to persevere. So getting graded to kind of persevere, but letting kids know that up front, right? So like in the podcast, did you just wing it? Okay, well, we could tell. So, you know, we do need evidence. So you have a script, you have evidence of practice, you have some different types of evidence of, so you have evidence where maybe somebody gave you some feedback up here, right? These are the things that along the way a teacher would grade just like they would a, a daily warm up. Um, these are types of things that students can put in their um, Google site, which is a reflection, which actually can turn into a blog. So you tell yourself is there's kind of uh, a method to the madness as far as the reflection now you you could put pictures in and videos. Look how hard this was to do. And then they, next thing you know, it's a blog about their learning. And that's an A grade. A, B, right? Mastery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I know that I'm a guest and I suppose asking questions is, is also, I don't know, it's just weird. But I would like to ask you guys the differences and similarities between asynchronous learning and student-centered uh, environment, a student-centered learning environment. Because, you know, I think it, I think it's kind of like a, all squares are, sorry, yeah, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares in that it is possible to have asynchronous learning be like a student-centered environment. But that doesn't mean that all asynchronous learning is student-centered, you know? And I'm wondering, first of all, how, how to effectively have asynchronous learning to be student-centered 
and also the mistakes of not having it that right um so yeah i was just wondering your thoughts on that well i've been um doing a lot of uh i'm doing a lot of asynchronous um teaching for university students for um student teachers and inter teachers and i've been reflecting a lot in on design because i think you're right david i think a, an asynchronous environment is really perfect for student centered um learning but you have to allow for the same things we've been talking about. You have to allow for student choice and for student voice, because if it's, you know, just the same discussion forum week after week without um, any opportunity for students to reflect or students to, to choose their learning, you know, there's lots and lots of technology out there that allows us as teachers um, to design those experiences for students. But I to be honest, most of us at this point are are not that experienced in designing them. So I think we need to practice and it needs to be our goal. Um, even things like just uh, supporting students in things like giving them cues, um, using the same symbols over and over, or the same colors, so that when there's a choice or um, students know exactly what to do, I feel like a lot of the asynchronous environments are kind of um, like almost like we forgot what good teaching is, you know, they're not structured the way we would structure um, a regular lesson. Like this is what you're going to learn. This is how you're going to do it. This is, um, you know, these are your choices here. So I do definitely think um, a student centered environment is, is possible. And also when in your synchronous meetings and your, in your zoom meetings, um, so important to engage students, to remember the things that engage students. For instance, um, teachers will greet students when they come to class, you know, outside the door. We've seen those videos, right, of them high-fiving and on all of that. Um, that shouldn't go away in a, a synchronous Zoom meeting. You know, each student should be identified, should be spoken to, um, should be supported. And I think you're right. I think it takes a little more thought and maybe a little more design to make um, our current learning environments student-centered, but it actually, to me, has much more opportunity because technology allows for those different choices in ways that um, face-to-face learning sometimes does not. You know, you can demonstrate, you can watch a video, you can demonstrate, you can create a video, um, you can read an article and respond with a voice memo, respond um with a video, respond with an infographic. I've allowed and I've had students this uh, semester create infographics instead of writing their reading response. They create a chart and it's it's a beautiful thing and it demonstrates um, their takeaways from what they've read. So I totally think it's possible and, and it's, it's a worthy goal to make these environments student-centered. Well, I actually think David just came up with a book title, Making Asynchronous Learning Student-Centered. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Perhaps. for helping me with my next book. It's it's going to be up there. You know, I've got three going right now. Um, you tell yourself is, is actually, as I mentor my teachers this week, I'm going to ask them that, David. Okay. And, and we, mm. and what we try to do is let's do that together. Let's brainstorm those ideas. So how do we do this? Okay. If we just, if the asynchronous assignment is just module after module of discussion, watch a video, 
um, do this, do this, and then you do a project. And, you know, I've had plenty of those. And then, you know, you get to pick the project. I will say one of the things that's usually missing in that is the collaboration. I have not seen the choice of a collaborative project. So I think that's something. Um, I also, I know we're already winding things down here, but with the asynchronous is a perfect time for people. Some people call it genius hour. Some people call it passion projects. But imagine this, David, if one day a week, in whatever class you were in, say it was your English class. So you, this pa- this podcasting that you started getting, spending a lot of time in, but one day a week in your class, you actually got to do that. And all you had to do was write a reflection on what you were doing on your genius project or passion project that you want, you wanted to learn more about podcasting equipment, whatever, right? But you had a whole period or day devoted to that. That's what I want for students, especially on this um, distance learning or asynchronous. Um, they are learning things from TikTok, from YouTube, and they don't. And they're they're doing this on their own time, right? Well, they could be getting school credit for it. My my daughter's showing me some of the stuff she's learning. I'm thinking, did you tell your teacher about that? You should get credit for that at school. Write something up. You know, again, how do we prove that we learned something? Well, she made the dish let's take a picture of it you know she made a uh hair treatment for her hair i mean it's the craziest things and then lastly to make asynchronous learning more student-centered i would like teachers to uh consider catlin tucker's station rotation model okay you can look that up she's a great one. She's got several books out. Uh, um, Station rotation involves one station with the teacher, maybe an offline station, which would maybe be a module, right? And an online station, which could be a breakout room. She's actually wrote some blogs about how to do this in distance learning. And when I asked, uh, we're getting ready to go to broadcasting in our district. Do you know what broadcast learning is, David and Debbie? No, I do not. Um, I'm pretty sure I do. <laughs> so you're going to have students in person and students um, at home. Oh. And then the teacher will be teaching them both at the same time. Is that right? That is correct. And also some of those students have decided to be on distance learning. So there's going to be an A group in class, a B group at home watching, and a distance learning group that you, these kids you've already had. So that's a way to not change their schedules, which is good, but it's going to be a longer time. Currently they've had 30 minute classes on zoom. It'll be the full 47 minutes. Um, how do we engage the students at home and the ones in person at the same time? So when I asked this question out to edu Twitter, um, some besides John Carippo's edu protocols, which do work good for that. Catlin Tucker's station rotation model was suggested and and I'm realizing the passion projects is a good one because in that day that you allow that students can be you can be guiding students right so you want to be more of the guide on the side especially in in the in you know um when you're with students and inspiring them to want to learn more on their own and, and I'll end on that note that my daughter finally this year in her Long Beach, CSU Long Beach class, she has a class, it's a history class, and I'm not sure the name of it, 
it makes her want to read more, watch more, and do more about that topic because the teacher is inspiring her to do that. So they are asking the right questions and they're allowing some kind of choice and voice. And that's what student-centered learning is, is when we start taking over, like we mentioned before, David, the taking ownership over your learning. That's what student-centered learning leads to. So I'm going to end on that as far as my comments. Thanks, Marsha. Thanks, David. I just want to remind everybody really quickly that, you know, you can take um, ownership of your own learning by sending us your questions. You know, we are happy to um, discuss what you want to learn. So you can direct message us on Twitter at AMA Mentors or send us a voice memo or just send your question to AMA Mentors Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and if you try one of our strategies, if um, you want to know more about one of our strategies, please send us a voice memo or send us an email at amamentorspodcast at gmail.com um, and let us know. And we'd love to feature you on the air. So thank you so much, David, for being our producer and being our guest. We learn so much from you all the time. Absolutely. And Again, it's always a pleasure and hopefully we'll I'll be I'll be back on some more episodes with you guys. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.